okay, I gotta admit, I knew that Saturday was going to be a real tough game. I knew there was going to be a real uphill climb, but I honestly did not expect for things to go sideways as much as it did. And we're going to talk about all of that and more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you once again for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And I hate to say it. That is just about as upbeat as I'm going to sound for the entirety of today's show because uh, we got a lot to talk about and we got to have a real serious conversation about where this South Carolina football team is right now, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to get straight into it on today's show. I'll talk real quickly about what Georgia did well, then I'll get into what the issues were on offense from a play calling standpoint. I'll then get into some of the execution issues that we are continuing to see from this offense and also the defense. And then at the end, I'll sort of talk about maybe where we're going to go from here and what we need to try to aim to do for the next couple of weeks. I'll be discussing all of that on today's show. So let's go ahead and get right into it. First of all, I'll give my roses to the Georgia Bulldogs. The Bulldogs did a phenomenal job this past Saturday they definitely showed why they are the number one team in the country right now. In my opinion, they should be the favorites to win the national championship. They are so dominant when they take the field. We were completely outmatched in every way, shape, and form, and they did multiple things well. They attacked the edges with quick passes, like swing passes in the flats. They were selective when they used tempo, but when they used tempo, it was typically at the right time, and it really caught this Gamecock defense on their heels. They used jet motion to set up a multitude of different offensive concepts like some jet touch passes. And their guys did a fantastic job on defense in terms of getting tackles, even if they were shoestring tackles against South Carolina's ball carriers, preventing a lot of explosive runs from occurring. And that's just scratching the surface, but those were the things that stuck out to me the most from Georgia on Saturday. So Georgia, congratulations. You absolutely dominated the Gamecocks from start to finish in this football game. Now let's talk about South Carolina. Let's get into the play calling. I will quickly list off some of the good things I thought I saw from our play calling on Saturday. I thought that Marcus Satterfield did a better job of incorporating more motion in this offense. Us running a pro-style offense, we don't normally see a whole lot of motion. But I saw some different things from Marcus Satterfield on Saturday in this one regard that was promising. I saw even some looks where we were in a full house pistol formation, which involves the quarterback being lined up about two and a half, three yards back from the center, and three guys surrounding him, and we would motion out at least two, sometimes maybe all three guys out wide to the edges. That is very unique and something, again, we have not seen too much in this offense. So that was something that I thought was good to see. The inside run game also had some solid glimpses, and I feel like that we need to do more inside zone with the tight end doing a kickout block on the defensive end. We saw this a couple times against Georgia, and I thought that each of those runs, for the most part, worked pretty swimmingly. 
that's about all the good I saw in terms of the scheming and play calling for this offense on Saturday. I'm going to try really hard to be measured with what I'm about to say here, but I may go on a rant, to be honest with y'all, so please bear with me. Let's start off with situational awareness. I have to be honest at this point. I don't understand at certain times in these games what it is exactly our game plan is when going into a particular play. On the first drive, it's third down and five. The Gamecocks received the opening kick. They chose to do that on purpose, and they were kind of close to midfield. Third and five is a play where we decide to take Spencer Rattler out of the game completely, and we put on Joyner out there in a Wildcat formation. Now, I love on. on's a good athlete. He's done well when he's gotten his opportunities, a la the Duke Mayo Bowl against North Carolina this past year. So he deserves a chance to get some opportunities back there in certain packages. Third down and five is not the time to pull out a play call like that. I'm sorry, it just isn't. It makes no sense why that would be the moment in which we would decide to do something like that. Also, on a drive at the end of the first quarter, we're inside Georgia's 40-yard line. We had run the ball on first and second down. It was about third and seven, third and eight. We hadn't had a whole lot of success running the ball the last two plays. And apparently, it was made known we were going to go for it on fourth down. I believe at this point, we were down 14 to nothing already. Another lackluster start in a big football game. And on third down, despite not having success on the previous two plays running the ball, it's decided that we're going to run the ball again. We lose yardage, and we wind up having to punt because of it. So, again, situational awareness. That's just a couple of examples being pulled from this one particular game. That's just the tip of the iceberg with this sort of stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that as a fan makes you want to pull your hair out, to be quite honest. Now, another issue with this offense that I have seen up to this point. We are having a serious issue utilizing all of the playmakers that we have. Starting off at the running back position and coinciding that with maybe a lack of trust in the offensive line. Christian Beal Smith. We got him to transfer from Wake Forest to come here. He was their leading rusher, I believe, this past season. And I know he was hurt at the beginning of the year. We have barely seen Christian Beal Smith go out there. Even on plays where we are calling for halfbacks to stay back in the pocket and help in pass protection. We're sending Marshawn Lloyd and Juju McDowell, both of which are like five foot eight and five foot nine. And I don't think either of these guys are over 200 pounds. Marshawn might be close to 200. The point being, both of these guys are a bit on the smaller side in terms of their physical stature compared to Christian Bill Smith. Yet we keep sending those guys out there to help out in pass protection, to take on screaming linebackers from guys like Georgia. How on earth? Does that make any sense? Why are we not using Christian Bill Smith in more situations like that? I don't care if it becomes obvious if that we're going to pass the ball if you got him in the backfield on like a third and, you know, whatever down type situation. Third and 15 doesn't matter. He needs to be out there in those situations. That's pretty apparent. We also need to trust the rushing attack more at the beginning of these games and not be so pass happy. You know, in the first, like, 14 plays against Arkansas, we ran the ball two or three times. We go down 21-0. Then we decide we're going to run the ball. Against Georgia, we ran the ball, I believe, two out of the first eight or ten plays. We go down 14-0, and deja vu. It all happens again. All of a sudden, we decided that we're going to start running the football. And holy cow, we're actually seeing some success running the ball. 
We have no running back that has rushed over 82 yards in three games this season. If you want teams to respect the passing game more, then you kind of need to prioritize your running game a little bit better in these games. Again, this is how I feel. This is just my complete honest opinion on what's going on offensively right now. Now, let's talk about not masking deficiencies and how about utilizing the rest of your personnel to their full potential. Let's start with the offensive line. This offensive line is obviously not perfect. They have had their good and their bad moments. I think we can all agree on that. I think we can also all agree that this offensive line, not all the blame should lie at their feet. Because quite frankly, there are certain times where they're being asked to do way too much in this scheme. I want to talk about six and seven man protections real quick. Against a team like Georgia, who has those kind of athletes up front, those guys who are supremely athletic, going to be future first-round draft picks in Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and the list goes on and on and on. You probably need to have more six, seven-man protections, get some tight ends out there, chip some of those guys on the edge, condense the pass-blocking scheme to the inside, make sure that you have everybody covering men and have, at, at some points, multiple guys on these defenders. I count it. In the first 39 or 40 minutes of this game against Georgia, we called a six or seven man protection five times. No, I'm wrong. Four times. Four times. Oh, by the way, only one of these calls actually involved an inline tight end with the offensive line working with them in order to do this. The rest of these six, seven man protections were all purely because of a running back being in the backfield trying to help as an extra pass protector in case a blitzer came screaming on through. That made up the other three examples. Georgia, comparatively speaking, has a better offensive line than South Carolina. They ran this stuff more than we did. They ran this stuff more than we did. They run a pro-style offense too. Why don't we see more of this? Objectively speaking, it just doesn't make sense. I'm going to continue this discussion in just a few moments. So I can already tell this is going to run a little long today. But I need to talk to you all, of course, about our sponsors for today's show, the lovely people over at Bet Online. Because as y'all know, BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to check out all your betting needs. You can find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games, along with reviews and news of every league. This includes the NFL, where the regular season, of course, is now officially in week two. Again, more football for all of us. In college football, South Carolina has opened up as a 23.5-point favorite over Charlotte for this coming Saturday. Obviously, the Gamecocks really need a shot in the arm with a W against the 49ers. You've also, of course, got Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, combat sports, golf, and yes, even esports as well. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering needs, including live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered wherever you need them. So be sure to head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn the latest about the trends and action. Because as always, BetOnline is where the game starts. Welcome back, everyone, to segment two of today's Monday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so let's get back to utilizing personnel and masking deficiencies. Spencer Rattler, 
We've talked before about Spencer Rattler's greatest skills, his best traits as a quarterback, and that is when he is moving outside the pocket, he's on the run, and he's trying to make throws off-platform at different arm angles. That is where Spencer Rattler excels. Play-action bootleg and rollout plays being called would put him in the best situation in order to be able to showcase those skills to the max. Guess what? The first 39 minutes of this game against Georgia, you know how many plays were called that involved a bootleg or a rollout concept? Two. Only two plays were called in this game against the Georgia Bulldogs that had Spencer Rattler moving outside of the pocket. Again, you know, you talk about this offensive line, and again, yes, they are not perfect in blocking, but if you're going to try to work around that, you've got to call more plays that involve this kind of stuff to help mask that sort of thing. And with the offensive line, I just want to remind some of you fans out there real quick, and I know it's not all of you, but there's a small majority that need to be reminded of this. This offensive line was the same old line that paved the way for Kevin Harris to rush for 1,138 yards and 15 touchdowns in 2020. Oh, and by the way, that was against a all-SEC schedule, 10 games. But yet some of y'all think that they cannot run block. I just referenced earlier the inside runs in this game against Georgia were working pretty well. Again, they are not the best group. I understand that. Even if they're in a scheme that really showcases their best abilities, they are not the best offensive line in this conference. But they are way better than what this scheme allows them to be, at least in my opinion. And there's even certain times where it seems like they're just having to think about way too many factors pre-snap. Now, let's move on to the wide receivers and tight ends real quick. Antoine Wells who leads the SEC, or at least he led the SEC, that is, in receiving yards and was tied for the SEC lead in receptions heading into the game against Georgia, had not a single target. He didn't have a single target. And I understand you cannot target a guy like him like 15, 20 times. And with all the guys we have on this offense, he shouldn't be getting that many targets. But he should be getting at least somewhere between five and maybe eight or nine targets in my eyes, especially with how well he's done so far this season. He didn't get a single target in this game. Jaheim Bell, as of this current moment, is on pace right now to have a little over half the receiving yards that he had last year. Last year, for reference, he had 497 receiving yards in 13 games. So far in three games this year, he has 64 receiving yards. Oh, by the way, he got 46 of those receiving yards on a deep pass and catch against Georgia this past Saturday. So you take that catch out of the equation, he has 18 receiving yards on like four receptions. I mean, come on now. I mean, what are, I don't understand really when you get into the weeds of this, what's going on here? Because we have a ton of weapons, but it seems like that this team right now There's a problem figuring out how to utilize what is in this offense, what's on this offensive roster. And that, in my opinion, is the most troubling part out of all the issues that we have right now with this side of the ball. Now, I've talked a lot about the offense up to this point. Real quickly, there is one thing I will mention from the defensive side of the ball in terms of play calling in the Georgia game. 
I thought that we lined up in soft coverage way too much with a defensive backfield on early downs, particularly first down, because what happened was we lined up in soft coverage. Obviously, this was done due to injuries, and I understand why Clayton White did what he did in regards to that because he wanted to try to sort of conceal maybe any coverage deficiencies that some of his guys had maybe in man-to-man. Maybe some guys just are not ready yet for that kind of coverage because man-to-man, that's grown-up type coverage. You know, zone coverage, that's high school stuff in a sense. Like, anybody can just do zone coverage where they sit in a bubble and they look for receivers. Man-to-man, that's a whole different level of talent right there. That that requires a lot of skill and ability. It kind of seemed like we tried to play some bend-but-don't-break defense in terms of our coverage. And instead, we played right into Georgia's hands with their success that they had on the edge, like I mentioned earlier, because Todd Munkin basically attacked the edges. And yeah, he made South Carolina pay for it a ton in this game. So again, that that's a kudo right there to Todd Munkin, realizing that that was what we were probably going to do and exposing that in a big way. All right, now let's go to execution issues. Let's go back to the offensive side of the ball real quick. Spencer Rattler continues to make bad throws, maybe some bad decisions. He, he continues to have certain issues matriculate in these games. There was a play in the game where he missed Xavier Leggett on a go route. I believe it's only the second play of the game. Now, granted, Marshawn Lloyd was being driven back towards him in pass protection. Again, why Christian Bill Smith should be out there in those situations more often. But I digress. So I can understand why that maybe didn't get seen or maybe he didn't have enough time to get that ball to Xavier Leggett. Um, his first interception. Rattler, I mentioned this in the postgame presser back on Saturday afternoon, so I'll try not to really go too deep into this. But to put it bluntly, it was a very bad decision. It was not a good throw. He tried to back shoulder it. That cornerback for Georgia or that safety was all over Juju McDowell. Now, if he had led Juju McDowell to like the five-yard line, or maybe even that front corner pylon, Juju would have had a chance to run past this guy because Malachi Starks, I believe is his name. Look, he sounds like he's a good player for Georgia. I don't care how good of a player he is. I don't think he's as fast as Juju McDowell. There's very few players in the conference as a whole that can match Juju McDowell in terms of speed. So if he had led him in that situation, then I could have seen how that play would have been a big play for South Carolina. But he was drifting away, fading back. He threw off his back foot. He broke so many cardinal rules of being a quarterback on that one play. So it was not a shock to see that play in an interception. He also kept the ball in his own read at one point, which could have turned to a decent chunk play from Marshawn Lloyd. Instead, he tried to keep it, run out to the outside. Nolan Smith was squatted right there in that outside C-gap, and he immediately cut laterally towards Spencer Rattler and got some help from a teammate. Rattler gains only two yards, while Lloyd could have maybe broken free for about 10, 15-plus yards. That was a mistake. There was also some missed assignments or maybe some confusion on stunt moves that were performed by Georgia, by South Carolina's offensive line. Of course, the lineup got shifted some because of injuries. Dylan Wanham, I believe, was playing left tackle a lot in this game. He never plays left tackle. He always is playing right tackle. So, essentially, all of his responsibilities, everything gets flipped from a visual standpoint. So, I'm not going to put all that on the offensive line. They were dealing with a lot of rotation in this game. So, it's understandable to see how that kind of stuff would have happened. Spencer Rattler also missed a wide-open drag route to Austin Stogger on second 14 with about eight and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Again, he had some pressure coming towards him. It was pretty much um, a bunch of verts going down the field, but Stogner was the short route right there. He was on a drag route going across the field. He had nobody near him. 
And he just, uh, I don't know what happened, but Spencer, I guess, just never saw him or he just never looked again at the ball. I, again, I don't know. I can't put myself in the minds of the football players. And again, I'm not going to try to. And of course, they're playing with a thousand percent effort out there. So there's no reason to ridicule them. But I'm just saying, Spencer Rattler's got to play better at quarterback. And of course, he's probably the first guy to admit that. And we're just going to have to hope that that happens over the course of this season as he gets some more playing time in this system because uh, we desperately, we've got to fix some of these issues. Some of these issues are correctable. We've got to correct them. And it all has to start against the Charlotte 49ers. Now let's move on to defense real fast. The defense is still giving up too many yards after contact. I know five stars were out when you played against Georgia this past Saturday. Obviously, really difficult situation for any team to really have to deal with. And in some cases, we had two, three true freshmen that were playing in the defensive backfield. That's obviously not ideal. But we still had too many plays where there were guys that were kind of trying to arm tackle. And Georgia's guys are just really freaking strong. And they continue to move their legs. And they just go right on through them. And, you know, it's all about leverage in terms of tackling. The defense has just got to try to do better with that. There was a lot of busted assignments on underneath routes. Again, with the amount of starters that were out and the rotation that was taking place, it was understandable to see why that happened. We're not handling pull blocks well on the outside. The defensive ends, I don't think they're attacking these pull blocks the way that they should. Again, I don't know if that's a coaching thing or if it's just like the heat of the moment. The guys were surprised by these pull blocks. And, of course, they're facing extremely solid athletes in the SEC. So maybe that's what it is. Again, I really I can't explain that one. Defensive ends were creeping too far inside on zone read and read option plays, and uh, they paid the price for it multiple times. Gilbert Edmond overextended on a read option one time. He had a really good game, by the way, against Georgia. I want to make that abundantly clear. Considering the circumstances, replacing Jordan Strawn, he did really well. But he overextended on one read option. He went way too far inside. Stetson Bennett saw this, went out, and ended up juking him, basically getting past him, and I believe also bent it back behind another defender. He scored an easy touchdown. It was Georgia's fifth touchdown of the game at that point. And I'll continue this discussion on the execution miscues in just a few moments after a few quick messages. Welcome back to the final segment of today's Game Recap edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so... Finishing up the execution issues on defense, we had weak side defensive ends breaking contain way too much on some of these plays, like a wide receiver reverse sweep. This scored Georgia's first touchdown of the game. And Talka Hemingway, again, not trying to pick on him because this could have happened to anybody, but he was the weak side defensive end. He crept way too far in. By the time he realized that the ball was coming back his way, again, backside defensive ends, if the offensive tackle goes straight for a linebacker and just basically leaves that gap completely, you got to sit there. You got to have your eyes inside. You got to be waiting because that quarterback's either going to do something or there's a play that's going to start going the other way and it's going to come back your way. And Tonka went too far inside. Brock Bowers got a reverse sweep. And by the time he realized what was happening, it was too late. He was out of place. Bowers is a very good athlete. He's probably faster, quite honestly. And so he just ran right on around and he scampered in for an easy touchdown. So again, could have happened to anybody. And Tonka is normally a rotational player. So it's not completely fair to put all that on him. But that is a simple defensive and assignment right there responsibility and that didn't happen on that play 
Uh, Kendall Milton, he broke free on a wheel route in the, out of the backfield in the third quarter. And at that point, you know, we were running man-to-man coverage, so it was understandable to see sort of how he could have gotten so easily wide open when we weren't running zone on, of course, that one particular play. I will say this. There were some bright spots on Saturday in terms of execution, especially on defense. Again, Gilbert Edmond, I thought he did a really good job. Considering all the circumstances, he gave a ton of effort. He made some hustle plays. He belongs in that starting group as far as I'm concerned going forward. I think that he is going to be a help to this defense. I think he is fundamentally sound for the most part, and he's got really solid technique in his pass rushing. I think that he's earned the right to be that man in Jordan Strawn's spot at this moment in time. Nick Emmonworry, I'm sounding like a broken record at this point. This kid just continues to flash when you're watching these football games. I think he led the team in tackles in this game, which is a good thing, you know, in terms of his development. It's also probably not the greatest thing because, again, he plays safety. You don't necessarily want a safety to be leading your entire team in tackles, but Nick Emmonworry, really solid performance flying all over the field. He was making sure to wrap up every single time that he was going one-on-one with a ball carrier for Georgia. Great performance by Nick Emmonworry. At this point, I think he could be a freshman All-American. I know I keep heaping up a lot of praise and a lot of expectations on him, but quite frankly, I think he's that good of a football player. He's going to be a stalwart in this secondary for years to come for this Gamecock defense. Also, Luke Doty, of course, came into the game late at the end when the game was very much decided at this point, and the coaching staff just decided to put him out there and take Rattler out. And um, I'm just going to say, offense had a little bit of energy when Doty went out there. Now, obviously, that's not meant to be an indictment on Spencer Rattler, and, you know, it could just be that, you know, the guys didn't want to get shut out, and the coaches really chewed him out and said, listen— We're not leaving this place with a goose egg on the scoreboard. We're going to go out there. We're going to score a touchdown, and we're going to make sure that it's not a shutout. That could have definitely been the case as well. I'm just saying, I did happen to notice that when Luke Doty was out there at quarterback. Just saying. Okay, so now that I have talked about the Georgia game ad nauseum and a lot of the issues that we have at this point, let's look ahead going forward. What needs to happen with this Gamecock team? First and foremost, We've got to get healthy. We've got a lot of guys that are banged up right now. And, of course, again, the guys that decided to schedule uh, for the conference portion of South Carolina's season this year, it was unfair what they did to them, quite honestly. They put them through a gauntlet with Arkansas in Week 2 on the road and Georgia at home in Week 3. And then, of course, again, we played a very physical Georgia State football team that loves to pound the rock as well. There's no question Those three games collectively, with the amount of impact and the play style that those teams have, took a toll on this Gamecock defense. So it's almost no wonder why there's so many guys that are hurt right now. We've got to take advantage of the next two weeks. We've got to get these guys back fully 100% healthy. Obviously, those guys I know are going to go into the training room. They're going to obviously be very careful with them in practice. Maybe we need to change up some of the practicing methods, at least for the time being, to try and avoid any more injuries from happening that, you know, at this point would be unnecessary, honestly, to this team. Not that injuries are necessary, but you get my point. We don't need to have any accidental injuries because we're, you know, taking guys to the ground from a tackling standpoint in practice. Uh, so defensively, honestly, we got to get healthy, got to get back to some fundamentals in practice. South Carolina State and Charlotte would be two good opponents to try and get some things corrected fundamentally on that side of the ball. Offensively, um, listen, there's a bunch of things that need to happen on that side of the ball. And I've already talked about it for a great length 
of time at this point in the show. I think that play calling, listen, some of these concepts need to be scrapped and thrown in a trash bin. We got to figure out some new things to run with this offense. Of course, at this point, you can't scrap the whole playbook. That's just not fair to do to the offense. That's quite literally impossible to do to try to bring in a whole new offense at this point in the season. Although, some things have got to change. There's no question about that. This offense right now is nowhere near its full potential, and quite frankly, it's just too stagnant. I know that they faced really solid teams in Arkansas and Georgia. Against Arkansas, we should have had more points on the board, quite frankly. We left, we left points on the board against Arkansas. Against Georgia, I get that Georgia's good. But a big reason why this fan base was not happy with this performance against Georgia is because there's no way that Georgia— I get it that they're talented. They're more talented than South Carolina from an overall standpoint. But with the amount of talent that South Carolina has on this team as a whole, there's no way that South Carolina at home should only score seven points. This offense has too much talent to only score seven points. So hopefully that is a wake-up call to a bunch of people in this program. That this offense has got to change. Because listen, it's not going to get any easier. You got Kentucky on the road in week six. Which right now, as far as I'm concerned, that might be the biggest game of the season. That could decide the rest of this season as far as I'm concerned. It is a massive, massive game in terms of swinging potential momentum. Because you should be going to that game at 3-2. and two. If you somehow lose a game against South Carolina State or Charlotte, then we've got way bigger problems than even I brought up on today's show. And then, of course, you got Texas A&M after the bye week. And then the schedule, honestly, it only gets tougher from there for the most part. So it's not like South Carolina's got four or five weeks to get this figured out. They got two weeks to get healthy and to try to hit a reset button on offense. But there's no question, there needs to be some effort put towards making some real change in this offense. Because if there isn't, if we go out there and we're struggling to beat South Carolina State and Charlotte, Yes, it's time to hit the panic button. It is time to sound the alarm because, again, with this team, with this talent, all the hype that we had this offseason, right now, it's just not met what we, it's not met the bar. It's not met the expectations that were set when this season was getting started. Obviously, again, some people might say, Andrew, it's three weeks in, there's plenty of time for them to get things improved. I would agree with that, except for there's too many issues with this offense right now that I'm seeing that are not overnight fixes. And some of it, again, not specifically on the players. That is all I'm going to say about that, because i got to be real careful with how I word those statements. But I'm going to be honest, it's not all on the players. That is all I'll say. Anyways, Gamecock Nation, what were y'all's thoughts on the showing against Georgia on Saturday afternoon? What do you think went wrong for this team? What issues maybe did I not bring up that you saw in this game that you think need to be addressed? Obviously, it's a lot to digest. So feel free to use the comments section on YouTube to let your thoughts be known. And of course, if you're listening to me on an audio podcast today, you can shoot me a direct message on Twitter. Let me know what your thoughts were there. I promise I, I read every single reply or message that I get on Twitter. So if you want to let me know there, then feel free to give me a direct message and I'll be sure to answer it as soon as I see it. 
One last thing. I'm going to do a real special edition Tuesday show. And by special edition, I mean it's something I haven't done yet. And I'm going to do it now starting this week. We're going to do a Q&A session on Tuesday. So in the comments section, leave any questions that you may have for tomorrow's show. And also, again, on social media, for those of you listening on audio, feel free to shoot me any questions you have. I'll try to go over as many as I can on Tuesday's show. Again, let's try to keep things civil. I know that we're some of us are frustrated right now with what's happening with the team. I can sympathize with that, but please try to keep things, again, civil. Let's not be vulgar, and let's not try to really get personal and attack certain people, okay? I don't want that to be the Q&A session that I'm running on Tuesday. I want real, thoughtful questions. So shoot them down in the comment section. Shoot them on social media. I want to see what y'all think or what questions you may have. But again, that does it for today's show of the Locked on Gamecocks podcast. You want more on the SEC as a whole? Go listen to Chris Gordy over at Locked on SEC. He takes you across the whole conference in just 30 minutes. It's quite impressive when you got to cover all 14 teams. Chris Gordy, you're doing a great job over there. So be sure to go check him out as well. Make him your second listen after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, that does it for me on today's show. Have a great rest of your Monday, a good start to the work week, and remember the sun will always rise once again. I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. <laughs>